Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down this hill. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at Go Native. Go Native produce a number of different products which are of interest to hunters and outdoorsmen alike. But today I'm going to talk specifically about their meal packs and their 24 hour expedition pack, which, which I really like. I always have a few of these on hand in case I decide to go hunting. I can just shove them in my backpack with a handful of muesli bars because I like to snack on things outside of my main meals. But that way I know I'm covered for a 24-hour period. That Go Native 24-hour pack contains your three main meals, your tea and your coffee, salt and pepper, and it's really good tasting and nutritious stuff. The biggest difference, I guess, between what Go Native do and what else is available on the market is the Go Native stuff is not actually dehydrated. So it is vacuum packed in a in a sealed bag. You just take that bag, boil it, open it up, eat it straight out of the bag or dump it on a plate. The end result is it tastes a lot better. My favourite is probably the butter chicken. I'm also a big fan of the beef casserole. They've got a bunch of other flavours as well, but uh, the food itself is something that you look forward to at the end of the day. But outside of that, the protein content is much higher than you'll find in dehydrated meals. So when you dehydrate it, you lose a bunch of the protein content, um, particularly those mass-produced dehydrated meals. Uh, The Go Native stuff has a much higher nutritional value than anything else on the market. So for me, in my old age, I'm getting a little bit wiser, and I understand the fact that if you have a big day on the hill, um, you need to be replacing that protein, and getting your protein is a big part of your recovery for the next day. So by carrying a little bit extra weight, I know that I'm getting good quality food and good quality protein. If I'm going on a 10 or 12 day massive backpack mission, yep, sure, I'll probably take dehydrated meals and sacrifice a bit in that way. But if I can, uh, for example, I'm going on a shorter trip or I'm flying in or there's a boat or a truck or some kind of transport involved um, and I can get the food to base camp without having to pack it for 10 days then I'll 100% of the time go with the go native stuff just because I know it tastes better it takes all the thinking out of it I don't have to organize meal plans or any of that stuff and it's much better for you higher protein higher energy better recovery all that said, the legends at Go Native are offering all of our educated hunter listeners a 10% discount on anything you order off their website. So if you head to the website, which is gonativeworld.com, order up what you want and enter the product code or the promo code THEEDUCATEDHUNTER, all one word, at checkout, then they'll give you a 10% discount on anything you order. So next adventure you're going on, be it big or small, give it a try. G'day and welcome to this week's episode of The Educated Hunter. This week I'm introducing a show on behalf of Curran. Curran had to jump on a plane to the UK. Uh, He's over there right now visiting with our estate owners and Ultimate OE cadets who are currently on hunting placement there. So he's over there right now, probably hunting somewhere in the Highlands, and I'm here recording this intro for him. Curran caught up with Khan Adam in the mountains while they were on a tar hunt. 
Uh, it's a really cool chat. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it and editing it. Uh, they cover a wide range of subjects. Khan is, a, is an avid hunter, a very accomplished hunter, quite a strong following on social media, particularly around his YouTube channel. I'll put links of all of this down below in the show notes if you're interested. They cover a lot about what it means to be a role model for the next generation of hunters in New Zealand. Uh, they talk about family and hunting and getting your kids involved in hunting, which I found really, really interesting. And then they also touch on the conservation side of things and how Khan balances that being a recreational hunter, but also working on the professional side of quote-unquote pest control. Uh, the word in the subject of 1080 comes up. It's very interesting to hear the other side of the coin. Very good listen. Thoroughly enjoyed it. So without further ado, here is Kern and Khan on a mountain somewhere hunting tar. Okay, so we're here now. Uh, just up uh, one of the bigger catchments on the east coast, Tarnton, and uh, sharing the evening with Khan. And we've got Cam in the background. He is sharing a hut with us, so... Any of the little noises you hear in the background, that might be Cam shuffling around. But uh, the, you know, this conversation really is a good catch up with Khan. Um, you know, some of you would have already met Khan or have known Khan through his social media and through some of his articles and magazines. But uh, Khan is a very passionate recreational hunter. I introduce Khan, and and we'll get into our conversation. So, Khan. Oh, thanks for having me along, Karen. It's um, bloody cool to uh, share this moment with you. Um, yeah, I guess just to, to set the scene, we're sitting next to a campfire and a hut way up the uh, way up the valley here, enjoying a moa beer and and just just uh, chilling out, having a good time. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's been a good couple of days already, and we've still got a couple of days to go. Uh, we're up here looking for, I guess, late rut tar. Um, yeah, we're what both. What are we now? We're mid July, aren't we? Um, Taurus, that we what we found, they're still doing their thing, so had a bit of success already. But um, hope to put Curran onto something tomorrow or the day after and uh, see how we go. Yeah, definitely. It's got, it's got to be my turn next for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, but we've seen a lot of animals. Uh, we're taking our time, obviously. Um, I think it's important for both of us to spend the time looking at animals, uh, and, we're, and we're sort of looking for those bulls that have that something special for us as hunters yeah i guess that's what we do and 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 part of the reason we've got um cam along here he, he's um all about capturing it by the lens and um that's what we like doing and and you've probably seen through a few of my youtube videos i like to portray my hunting styles and some of my ethics through while my uh my filming's not as as classy as cam's turns out at the end it um it's still good at um capturing you know what i do and, and why i do it yeah and from from my point of view and Matthew's point of view, the educator hunter point of view, like it's individual and that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't all have to be professionals. Yep, Cam's got a massive skill set there, but but you you yourself on the hill are hunting, following your own ambitions and re, and recording your own memories, and that that matters a lot. So we're, I guess, you know, we've sort of jumped straight to what we're doing right now. Like, where where did hunt start for you? Like, where where was your hunting background from? I guess. Um Hunting was a bit of a, a, a weird start for me. A, a lot of guys that are avid hunters now have got either had a mentor in, in hunting, whether it be their father or you know their grandfather or some another uh, someone else they've looked up to in regards to hunting. I, I've sort of been a bit different there, where I guess I did 
start hunting with my father to an extent, but um, he, you know, no disrespect to the to the man, he wasn't much of a hunter himself, and um, and I, I guess I sort of had to learn learn my own way, and uh, I think that has been the the roots to make me the hunter I am today. Um, learning young and learning on my own, um, it's been yeah, it's been a bit of a challenge, but. You know, getting to where I am today has been uh, quite mm-hmm. good. Yeah, definitely, and and there's a lot to be said. I, you know, kind of myself share a, an interest in business, if you like, and we've we talked about it in a different fashion. But there's a lot to be learned from your mistakes, and there's a lot to be learned from others' mistakes. And, and I think hunting allows you to bring that in day to day life. You know, like you go out, you hunt, you're unsuccessful, but you learn, and you learn a lot by watching and, and doing that sort of thing. And that that's I guess partly how we've ended here hunting together, me in my late thirties, Khan in his early thirties, but um, from different walks of life, but hunting together because our the way we go about hunting has massive similarities, and I, I like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Karen, and and that's part of the reason why we click so much now, um, on a personal sense and on a hunting sense, is we we can sit down and and talk the shit around hunting and around business, and we're just both on the same page, same works of life. You know, you have got a young family, I've got a young family. Um, and you know we can relate a lot in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. So, so obviously, well, some part in humble beginnings, but it's you know apparent with the likes of social media and the magazine articles that you're successful now. But what, where, what would you say your hunting ambition is like? Where, where do you want your hunting to go, and and the future of your hunting as Khan? Um, where do you want that? Yeah, I guess I guess my hunting's changed a lot. Since obviously the you know when I first got into it, the the early days of hunting it was sort of anything that moved that was brown and was you know could be tasty. Brown, it was down. Yeah, Yeah. it was if it was um, tasty and could end up in my freezer and feed feed the flatmates. It was you know it was going down and 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 that that was my hunting for quite quite some time. And um, it wasn't until I really sort of started getting into trophy hunting that I sort of started taking a back seat and, and and really really evaluating animals and looking at them and and even so now where I've, I've ticked quite a lot of the trophy goals um that I, I guess I um aspired to at an early age I, I now like to sit back and just watch animals I, I could quite happily sit sit behind a spotting scope now and and watch animals for days and not pull the trigger or or do a multi-day trip a week-long trip and not pull the trigger at all or not even be interested in pulling the trigger so I, I guess it has changed a lot now, and I and I guess that's part of the reason why I've, you know, dabbled in picking up the bow and having a bit of a play around with that too. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think a little bit of that comes with frequency. Like, the more you hunt, the more often you've been out, and, and as you pick up, uh, I guess a preference. And it's not a, a particular preference. It's not like you only want to shoot bigger, or you only shoot males, or you only shoot females. Like, just a preference as a whole. I think what that does is it slows you down in your hunting. And allows you to watch, which builds an appreciation, which as a residual factor stops you from wanting to shoot everything anyway. Because yeah. there's a there's a certain amount of enjoyment that we as hunters get from simply watching animals. Like we've done a bit of this over the last few days. Like yeah. I think between us we're probably in excess of 100, 120 animals. Yep. And we've harvested one trophy animal and one meat animal between us. And there's certainly been a lot more opportunity than that, but that, that hasn't been our driving factor. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like I've just, I've loved sitting in, in the riverbed, you know, with a couple of guys talking shit, watching animals. Don't, 
I'm not not blaming our fitness in any way for not <laughs> not wanting to climb the hill, but um, it's just honestly been great just sitting there watching, you know, sitting back watching and evaluating animals. It's um, it's all part of it, really, isn't it? Yep, yep. For me, it's um, it's a good opportunity to slow down. I know you're giggling in the back there, thinking that I don't really have a fast pace, but <laughs> it, is, it is important for me to slow down and just enjoy hunting, but enjoy New Zealand backcountry. Yeah, um, and, and and I guess that sort of relates a lot back to our busy business lives now um, and, and the, business the, and family yeah and family too right and the, and the limited time we have to actually get out and, and enjoy this and the, and the moments we do get in the mountains it is just a matter of sitting back and appreciating your surroundings it's not about killing animals it's just appreciating what you mm-hmm. you know the mountains you're surrounded by yep no definitely so you touched on there uh, earlier about a transition into bow hunting so You've historically been a rifle hunter, and now there's a shift towards bow hunting, or an ambition to shift towards bow hunting. Yeah. Uh, what's brought that about? I guess um, one of my one of my main hunting goals I set oh, quite a few years ago. I wanted to tick all the big game species in New Zealand, get a representative trophy of each of them with the same rifle, and I, I bought myself a. Browning X-Bolt in 300 Wisdom uh, back in 2010 and that was going to be my rifle of choice to do this goal and basically I've um, aside from Rusa, Whitetail and Samba the, probably the three tricky buggers mm-hmm. I've, I've ticked everyone, every other one in regards to a representative species in New Zealand and I've been pretty proud of that I guess um, and I guess I've just sort of taken a back seat on those last three, I've uh, been pretty close with the whitetail a couple of times, but the, the rooster and samba and North Island species, and it takes a bit of time and commitment to get those. So mm-hmm. um, in regards to furthering my um, ambitions and challenges in hunting, I took up bow hunting. And, um, yeah, that's just a whole new beast on its own, really, <laughs> once you once you dive into bow hunting. And I, I know you've been talking to Caden Willis recently. Mm-hmm. And that young fella, man, I you know really respect the way he bow hunts, and he's a he's one to look up to in regards to bow hunting. And um, yeah, it's it's a hell of a challenge, and it's um, something I'm I'm quite passionate about now. Yeah, definitely. It's a, I mentioned it in the chat with Caden. My ambition to go into bow hunting, and I won't repeat it or repeat the whole story. But mine's very different. I haven't actually I haven't decided if I want to hunt with the bow, but I want to get into bow hunting because I want to get fitter. I want to get more flexible. And I want to enjoy animals outside of my perception of trophy. That that's where bow hunting sits with me. Um, but but on that, just going back there. So have you given up on those other animals with the rifle? No, no, it? not at all, not at all. I I still plan to tick those boxes. But I've just sort of resided to the fact that it's going to take probably a, you know, a few years to get there. And I've, I've got years of hunting behind me, so I'm I'm just going to settle down and let that happen. I've got a yeah, you know, I, I hope I can tick the whitetail box in the next few years, um, but the the rooster and the sambar I may have to you know dive a bit harder into. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, by all means, I I haven't um, haven't put that one aside. But I guess the bow hunting thing has has created this um, bit of an addiction. I guess um, yeah, I've sort of I've taken two species. I've taken a chamois and and a, and a couple of seeker with the bow now and a red deer. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just. Yeah, and all you bow hunters out there, I guess you can understand this this weird little addiction that's happened, um, and it's it's sort of hard to explain, really. So, uh, your intention with bow hunting is it to achieve the same goal? Like, do you want all these species as well? Um, 
Not really, no. No, I, I guess the reason I like bow hunting is I, I grew up bush hunting in the North Island and all of my hunting in my first few years of hunting was all close range, real up personal type hunting, you know. And um, and I, I guess since moving south, I've, I've lost that aspect of it because a lot of it is, you know, further ranges, you know, bigger distance, high country type stuff. Um, but bringing the bow hunting back into it, you're really getting up in that animal's you know, zone. Mm-hmm. You really get, yeah, you're really getting right in their bubble, and that's what I love about it. I've always loved getting out amongst animals, and and I, yeah, I've got my opinions about long range hunting and that sort of thing, and mm-hmm. yeah, not a, not a huge fan of it because I, I guess it's not really, yeah, you can't really call it hunting. I guess mm-hmm. um, it, this is just my opinion. Yep. Yeah, my my opinion. That's entirely what this is. This is your conversation. Yeah, yeah. My my opinion of hunting is is getting right in amongst where the animal senses are all. You know, you can, you can. It's hard. It's, I guess it's a hard, to, hard one to explain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no. I, I myself personally have, and quite possibly for different reasons. This is the first time we've really discussed this, but I, I myself, I, I just haven't found the niche in long range hunting. I, personally myself, I, I find a little bit of a discrepancy between that and the ethics that I try to apply to all my hunting mm-hmm. around good clean kills. Um, you know, being challenged, you know, it's not never easy. It's hit and miss, like I'm, I may or may not succeed with this. I, I feel with long-range hunting, we remove a little bit of that, but we increase the animal risk. Yeah. And I consciously as a hunter, I wonder where that sits. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, uh, but me, myself, it, it's not something It's not something I look at to with admiration. I guess so that's probably the, the pure, honest way to look at it. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if it's bigger than the hunters themselves. You know, people are people. I, I like. I wonder if, if if the long, you know, the right guys doing long range shots is arguably as ethical as me doing my two hundred meter shots. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong, but the ability for somebody without that skill set to go and do that because of technology and equipment, uh, I, I, I think I. I for me, it creates an argument. And I, I think that's my biggest issue with it, Kieran, is, is there's too many guys out there now that are on you know, social media or on TV or on videos promoting this long-range hunting, and, and it's, it's created this culture where, and I, I get it all the time, I quite regularly get messages from young fellas through Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you know, oh, what calibre should I get, or you know, how far should I be shooting animals? And these are guys that have never shot a deer before or any of that sort of thing, and, and it's sort of created this culture... Um, that these guys should be going out and buying magnum calibers or wisdom calibers and shooting stuff out at 500 plus meters with these with these giant scopes and that sort of thing. And they, these are guys just getting into hunting that have never shot a deer or anything before. And I, I think it's a really bad culture that's been created. And um, without without going into too much depth about long range hunting, I just I just feel like it's something that needs to change. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because you know I know how you feel about hunting and it's always hard as a passionate hunter and, and quote unquote an ambassador for recreational hunting, it's hard to not want to encourage, you know, another new guy that wants to use a long range rifle. Like it's a good thing for hunting, but if you could just hammer down the, the return they'll get on investment by sneaking in and looking at animals, watching an animal for a little bit longer, yep. being successful or unsuccessful, um, ensuring that every time they pull the trigger, they themselves feel, a certain amount of satisfaction in the fact that they're doing all they can do to ethically kill that animal. And mm. I'm, I'm not saying, because 
you know, frankly, it's it's a blatant lie if you're a hunter and say that every time it's on the money and everything happens oh, like, yeah, like you yeah, planned. Yeah. But every I can I can honestly say every time I pull the trigger, my mindset is that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and I think that's more important. But I think when you start, and that that's where the difference comes along with guys that are capable of doing that shooting versus guys that aren't. Yeah. They can't honestly, in my mind, they can't honestly be pulling that trigger. Feeling hundred percent on that. Yeah, there's and just there's just so much that can that go wrong. Well yeah, so much can go wrong. You know, wind, anything, environmental. You know, trigger bump, whatever. Oh, you know, I, can, I was listening to an audio book the other day, and they were referring to uh, not audio book, a podcast. Sorry, they were re- referring to shooting at a mile. So we'll say one and a half k's, hmm. and it took six seconds for the bullet to get there. Yeah. Like I'm not even fast moving, and I move a lot in six seconds. You know what I mean? Like and that that worries yeah. me. If, if we're looking at a kill zone of, I don't know, thirty centimeters square, so yeah, um, that that moves in half a second. So it's six seconds. Then you're then you're talking about, you know, really poor shots or or clean misses. Clean yeah. misses is probably a good result to be fair, but yeah. or really poor shots. So that. Yeah, we'll talk about. I, I would really like if anybody's out there. I'd really like a good conversation with somebody that advocates long range hunting. Yeah, because as much as my opinion doesn't advocate it, I also don't know a lot about it too. So you know, I, mm. I would like mm. that that thorough conversation. But um, so because I know you personally, I know I know the type of hunter you are. But something that you show on social media or, or lightly on social media not heavily and I know personally is is the time and effort you put into having your children in the outdoors mm. not always hunting mm. but I know they've come for a hunt with you know myself and you yeah. um, in North Canterbury there um, and it was a hell of an experience I still remember them scrambling up the hill at the first gate I, I, like literally just behind the farmhouse and they scrambled all the way to the top of the hill grabbed hold of hands of each other and turned around and said, Dad, there's no pigs here. And I was like, we've got that covered. (laughs) There's probably no pigs in the first catchment now. But anyways, um, but, you know, like I, I, my my child um, certainly isn't of that age yet, but I think it's a great thing to see you put in, or giving your kids the opportunity. It's not by no means that Mm. they have to be hunters because bigger than hunting, like I kind of wonder if we're one generation away from people not knowing how to camp. Yeah. And that, that that worries me. We live in New Zealand, and people may not know how to camp. Like, yeah. You know, but I, I think it's a great thing that you take your children out. So, yeah, obviously it, it means a lot to you. Yeah, it's massive to me, and and that's part of the reason why my hunting has changed over the last few years. Is my kids have sort of come of an age where they can sort of start tagging along with me on quite basic hunts. You know, at this stage, my oldest Max, he's just about turned seven, and my um. Second oldest, Taris, he's five. Um, well, I've got a wee girl, Lauren, who's almost two. She's not quite there yet, but Max and Taris just just live for adventures with their dad. And, um, yeah, this, this very valley that we're in now, I've brought them up to one of the huts up here and just, just adventures to get them get them out in, in the environment away from technology. And technology's a, a big thing for kids these days. And without going too far down, you know, that rabbit hole with kids <laughs> yeah, and technology, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a tricky one. Just trying to get that balance with... Um, that younger generation and still appreciating what we were brought up on. Um, it, it's, it's really big for my kids and, um, you know, I, I love getting them out and, and a big thing I, I try and promote to them when we're out there is, is eating everything we kill and, and where our food comes from, which is re- it's really massive for me. So, yeah, I've got to be careful about what we shoot and, and what we, 
you know, promote eating because mm-hmm. you know, there's been times where we've shot rabbits and cooked rabbits and hares and that sort of thing, and then, and then we'd shoot a possum out of the tree, and like and then the boys are like, right, Dad, let's gut it and kill it and get rid of the cook, and I'm sort of sitting there going, oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> That's harder than it sounds. Yeah, yeah, even even as, as far as wallabies, you know, we've had a bit of a chew on a wallaby, but we um, won't go any further with the old wallabies. Yeah, but yeah. when it comes to venison and pork, you know, if we – we get an animal it's all about um mm-hmm. carrying it out and you know cooking it up and the boys just love it you know they they just live for these adventures eh? Mm. yeah no it's awesome and i one thing i don't think we touch on enough as parents and i say that like i'm an expert and i'm not but um as much as it's really important for you to share that time with your kids i think it's really important for your kids to see you in an environment that you enjoy yeah and we probably don't reflect on that enough but if you're happy in this environment and this is where you are quote unquote your calm and relaxed calm or mm. you know, whatever. Um, I think it's really important for your kids to see that. And there's always a natural ambition for your kids to follow your father. Yeah. And it's not that what your your parents are, not your father, but and it's it's by no means, you know, like you're forcing them into being hunting, but they come out, they enjoy these experiences and like you say, now and they're already learning resourcefulness and, and ethics at the age of what'd you say seven you know yeah, like yeah that's right yeah and arguably there's a lot of guys my age hunting and not not portraying any of that yeah you're right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that that's 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 important so so if, if they get an introduction into hunting now at their age like where where do you hope hunting in new zealand sits for them in the future um yeah i guess it's a hard one i by no means am i interested in in pushing hunting on my children because i've, I've seen that work um, against fathers before where they've, they've sort of forced their kids to come out hunting with them and the kids sort of created this hate for hunting, hate for the environment and they basically turned against it and, and that's not what I want for my, my kids. I've, I've always, they always get the, the option, you know, if they want to come or not want to come, you know. And the moment they say, oh, you know, I'm not interested in coming on this trip, Dad, it's not, I'm not ever going to force them into it. And I think a lot of fathers think they're doing a good thing by forcing their kids into it. Um it's it's a bit of a fine line there, I guess. Yeah, def- definitely, definitely. But um, I guess like that—that's from an emotional aspect. Like, how do you hope the hunting and the access and the acceptance of hunting will be for their generation? Like, you know, because they're still whatever, ten to fifteen years away from being able to do it individually. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you hope it's perceived for them? Like, you know. Yeah, I guess I, I I just hope that we can, yeah, that the the kids can have the same freedom as we get now in regards to hunting. You know, I I still hope that when they're of age, of being able to go out with a rifle on their own and go and harvest an animal, that the, the freedom's still there for them to do it. Mm-hmm. I I know the the world's a changing thing out there, and um, we just need to all as hunters, we just need to protect what we've got mm-hmm. and um, and look after it for that younger generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and and looking after and protecting it I think are keywords but then for the Kiwis in particular because uh, we're not traditionally good at this we need to be open and accepting of other ways of doing this yeah like we we ourselves as recreational hunters are by no means a management strategy in our, in our own no um, so heading down that like obviously for those that don't know can uh, as a successful businessman, one of the things I wanted to talk to him about on this is, and I'll let Khan describe the business as a whole, but 
a, a portion of his business is professional hunting. And I wanted to know how professional hunting uh, impacted or reflects on his recreational hunting. Because I know myself, I've been involved in professional and recreational. And it, it definitely has, through necessity, changed a little bit of my thought process around it thought process around it and the, and the, and the methods and the, and the way I do things so um, I guess as every uh, young fellow who's involved in in um, that door you hear is Cam going out for a pee he's had one too many more bow, mower beers so <laughs> <laughs> just sneak on out there Cam yeah, um, yeah like every, every young fellow that's involved yeah loves their hunting is yeah, as they're coming up, they they dream of having or are able to work. But for people to be able to love what they do at work is huge. You know, job satisfaction these days is massive. You know, so many people don't enjoy what they're doing at work. But for someone like myself who's been able to create a business out of something that's so passionate about, mm-hmm. it's been massive. And for and, me, and that being, and yeah, to, in conservation, yeah. Um, that's huge, you know. My business is built around, um, you know, rural pest control. I guess you can call it. We high country contracting itself employs twenty staff, um, and we roam the hills in the back country in the South Island, um, completing you know rural pest control type work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's important work, but I think it's you know like like you touched on like. For all us outdoorsmen and outdoorswomen, you know, being part of the conservation basis in New Zealand, like, you know, you are eliminating pests, you are on the ground doing the work, like it is rewarding. And, and every one of your staff members, and I've, I've been lucky enough to meet these guys, like they are all individually, they are passionate about what they're doing and they mm. are rewarded day in and day out by the work they're doing. Mm. You know, that's that's a great thing and there's not enough of that that happens. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think if if every hunter sits down and he thinks about it, he wants conservation to be cranking in New Zealand. You know, if you if you put it bluntly, we want to be able to see native birds, we want to be able to see the bush thriving, we want to be able to see everything going well, as well as our game animals out there. And there's a there's a there's a very 100%. fine there's a there's a fine balance there. And and I think that's where hunters as a as a general need. Um, Probably a little bit more education around conservation and how it all works and mm-hmm. and how it can work in balance with hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, like I, I've done some pest control sector work, you know, around pigs and around deer, and like there's a portion of it that doesn't sit with the ethics that I apply to myself when I'm hunting. Mm. I understand that, but then I also understand that bigger picture, it fits into a bigger model of conservation. So it fits bigger than my little pocket of my little animals that I like to have to harvest for myself. Mm. Like, and, and it, 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 it itself creates balance. And I think, I think that's where we as recreational hunters need to accept management and pest control. We're, and, and our definitions of pest vary, you know, and, you know, yeah. but, that, that the control needs to happen and it needs to be part of a management strategy for the benefit of everybody. And, and I, you know, I I know you as a person, as a father and as a business owner take a lot of passion and pride in the work you do and the quality of the work you do. But 
despite that, like how how do you feel as a as a as a recreational hunter? How do you feel about like how do you balance the mix between having to professionally kill some animals one day and then recreationally look at them the next day? If that makes sense, yeah. Because I, I do it too. This is not a trick question. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess um, come in again, Cam, with your squeaky door. <laughs> Um, I, I guess it, it, at times it can be tricky um, because I'm so such an avid recreational hunter, as as some of you would know. Um, a lot of you don't see my professional side, um, although you know my my business page is also very vocal on social media, and we really promote what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there is a bit of a fine balance between what I what I do and the way I feel about um, my professional side affecting my recreational side and my recreational hunting buddies as such. Um, and, and I guess a big one that, that sort of clashes with that is um, using toxins in the environment and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if you want to, if you want to talk deeper on it uh, about the use of ten eighty, like I've already made it public, my thoughts on ten eighty. Um, I am not in support of ten eighty, but I don't have the education to give a better solution. And I understand we need to be doing something. Mm. So I am pro something happening. I am. Pro the result of having a native New Zealand available to myself, yeah. and 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 I don't blur the lines between the need to do this work to maintain a native New Zealand to eradicate the animals I need to hunt. Like they're two very different. And you can talk about 1080 itself in a minute, but I just want to talk about the fact that I was disappointed in the amount of flack you got. And I hope you're right with oh, this of, this. of recent times, yeah. Of recent times, yeah. On social media, from people, and arguably hunters as well, when they didn't actually understand it, and they didn't know you, and and it was just a personal attack. It wasn't. There was no. I didn't see one post on there around an educational assault against 1080. It was a, it was around you, and the delivery of. Yeah. And I, I just don't think that's fair. Yeah, and, and um, you know, going back to the ten eighty thing, it's a very it's a very small part of my business, and I'm very the 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 choices we make around the use of it are very calculated. Um, I've got probably one of, if not the biggest, ground control teams in New Zealand. That well, probably up there with the best. You know, these guys are absolute machines when it mm-hmm. comes to delivering ground pest mm-hmm. control yep. across all terrain you know, in New Zealand. And um, when when we make the call, which has only been you know once or twice to to use ten eighty as a tool. It's been very calculated, and a lot of things are taken into account with the you know the type of the environment the guys are working in, the 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 job that needs to be done, and why it needs to be done, and all, all these sort of things. And without going too deep into it, yeah, you know, the the specific um, type of you know, occasion that Karen's talking about now was was the use of it um, recently, and um, it, it really blew up on social media. And I can under I can totally understand, and I'm I'm a firm believer of everyone having their um, their opinions on things. But I guess this one probably went a little bit too far in regards to taking it a bit personal. Yep. For me, it, it was disappointing. And it was disappointing from a human point of view. Um, but And disappointing from hunters as a, as a point of view. Like, there wasn't one post that even asked you why you used 1080. Mm, but mm. There, there, there was none of that. Yeah. It was... And and we, we can be against 1080, but against the people that are working within an industry that employs 20 people, that does perception-based, 99% good for the country. Mm. You know, like they only get up to me to do 10 They've got no problem with you working all day with traps and, mm. and, and cutting wild in pines and stuff. Like, you know, so that that's where I refer to that. And then they all of a sudden have a problem with that. 
Mm, mm. Like that's real unfair. Yeah, I think I think this is where it, it went a, a wee bit far for me, and it, I guess it did affect me personally because I had I had people threatening to shoot me, threatening to poison my children. You know, that's and when when my wife's sitting in the in the police station in tears, that's just yeah, it's it's gone a wee bit but far. It's yeah, it's bullshit. And I know for a fact that dock workers have left their employment through mm. fear, mm. and then also like an on the ground level guy that cuts trail and poisons a bit of bush and or sprays weeds or whatever you know not, yeah. not even directly re- involved he's now informed that he's got to check his wheel nuts every time he gets in a vehicle yeah like who's willing to put their hand up for somebody that drives off the side of the road because one of their wheel nuts has come off yeah and when he's a young 18 year old earning somewhat just over minimum wage enjoying the, the native bush of New Zealand exactly. like like where have we got to that that is acceptable yeah yeah, no, and it's, that's where I think it's sort of it's sort of taken a bit far, and I, and I imagine some some people that are going to listen to this are, are very anti ten eighty, and I, I totally respect that. That's fine. Yep. You've got your opinion. I'm not a fan of ten eighty either. Mm-hmm. It, the only issue is it's the it's the only tool we've got to do what we want to do at this stage. Mm-hmm. The moment they find something better, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, know, I'm I'm not a fan whatsoever of ten eighty. Yeah, people don't come to it with a thought process, like it's a tender process that. And, and the areas, and correct me if I'm like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the areas are already predetermined. The tenders come up. You and any other company capable of this tender for this, mm. and then mm. you may or may not get it. You tender for the work because I will cut in a bit there, Karen. I d- I did have some say at a high level of, as to the, as to what happened in this mm-hmm. in this certain area that we did the poison, mm-hmm. but a lot of the decisions were very calculated in regards to. Yep. Yeah, why would I want to put my staff at undue risk of making them work in this area for months to try and get the population of possums down to, you know, said level in such a short period of time? You know, we we worked that same catchment at the lower quarter of that catchment uh, two years ago, and I had you know s- several health and safety incidents where you know people were getting hurt, people were really not happy about working in there, and to try and do that four times over mm-hmm. in such a short space of time, it just didn't make sense. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess to an extent, I, I did have some decision making around that. Yep. Um, but then I saw I also have influence on a lot of other things about where the poison's applied, where the deer repellent can be applied to that bait, which is a huge influence mm-hmm. uh, in regards to deer stalkers and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so having, I guess the, the way hunters need to look at it as well is that having someone of my interests at that level helping make those decisions. And and thinking about deer stalkers as well, it, it should be it should be huge for them. Rather than having someone who doesn't give a shit about deer, regards them as a pest, hates everything else, and it just wants to dump poison, then mm-hmm. you know they need to look at it with a different light. I guess we've had a bit of a rant on that. Yeah, and, I just, and, and <laughs> one one other little thing I wouldn't want yep. to touch on, Karen. You talked about the whole tender thing. A, a big thing that came across in the social media thing was. Oh, he's doing it for the money. Oh, he's on the gravy yeah, train. That, yeah, that's what the, I was the, hit the, the the big money thing. Um, I can guarantee, hand in my heart, there is no big money involved in 1080. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you said, it's a very tight tender game. There's a lot of people out there in my industry that are competing for this type of work. You know, there is not a gravy train involved in this. Yep. Yeah. Uh, unless you want to talk more about 1080. Well, oh, yeah, no. I don't. I don't need to go too much more about no, 1080. Well, I would probably enjoy to have a conversation with you further down the track mm. about the science on 1080. Yeah, and yeah, What definitely. you understand on the education of 1080. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm keen I don't. I don't I don't think it fits now based on... I don't want this podcast to be a defence 
podcast. I want this to be about calm. Yeah, totally. And, and I'm I'm keen to sit down and yeah. and talk about that some more. One, one thing I just yeah. do want to touch on now, though, which now that I've said that, it just kind of contradicts that. You referred to Dear Appellant. On, on your understanding of the education you know, and this isn't fact or fiction, you know, mm-hmm. this is just your understanding, how effective is Dear Appellant on 1080? It's not. 100% effective whatsoever mm-hmm. uh, you know I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen Dear Appellant work really well and then I've seen it work really poorly and I think a lot of it's got to do with the environment the weather conditions the amount of deer the amount of feed around there's a whole lot playing in it mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I think without I don't know the detail about this Molesworth yep. um, job that's happened and I think that was quite a disaster um, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it was a perfect storm with a whole lot of things lined up yep I've seen deer repellent work really, really well mm-hmm. um, in, in lots of different areas, but um, in other times it hasn't. But I know for a fact there's a whole lot of research and stuff going on at the moment with two different companies trying to make a deer repellent work really well. So mm-hmm. um, that's very promising for us as hunters. Mm-hmm. If um, you know, with the with the, with the poison thing thing continuing with Doc, that mm-hmm. um, the deer repellent costs will come down. And the effectiveness will go up, so that's that's really promising for hunters, I think. And I think hunters need to really think about that and start supporting these sort of things. Yep, yeah, definitely. No, as hunters, we need to just broaden a few horizons on a, mm. on a lot of mm. stuff, you know. We need to be accepting, and I've gone over this on my podcast, but we just need to be open to have the conversation. And, and we should live in a world where it's fine to disagree, mm. but we should be open to have those conversations and learn a little bit. Yeah. And like, like you said, I'm I'm happy to sit down and, and go talk an yeah, hour and a half no, about 1080, cool. the topic itself, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, no, definitely. And but I, I myself, and I, again, I've, I've been over this, but I want to educate myself more before I ask those questions. Yeah. I don't think I'd come from a an accurate place now if I started asking questions about 1080. Yeah. Um, so it's important for me to be that way. And it's important that people like you that are passionate recreational hunters that want longevity in the sport for yourself and future yeah. are part of the decision making. There's so much more to the whole conservation game than 1080. The problem is, is mm-hmm. 1080 is just so controversial mm-hmm. and these people are so outspoken about it. Is, yeah, everyone just needs to understand the whole conservation picture as a whole. And like I said right at the start, that every every hunter in the back of his mind wants to see New Zealand you know, the, our conservation just booming. Mm. You know, they want to be able to go out in the bush, and they want to be able to see the native birds, and they want to be able to enjoy mm-hmm. the bush just flourishing. You know, so we, we we need to sort of just like you said, broaden our horizons a wee bit and and think about it. What species would you hunt now if you had unlimited budget? Cool. Yeah, unlimited budget and like basically no restraints. Like, what would what would be your species? We're we talking New Zealand species. Yeah, anywhere in the world, your budget's yours. I guess I I love our species we've got in New Zealand. Um, and I haven't re- I haven't really shown an interest in international hunting until probably in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. just because I've been so we, we're so lucky here in New Zealand to better hunt what we hunt. You know, we've got animals that live in the highest peaks to the valley floors, and and you know trophies recognised worldwide. You know, um, that's a hard one, Karen, to be honest, because I my my I'll touch on my favourite New Zealand species to hunt, and that's seeker deer by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seek a deer in the in the roar of the rut. It it I think that blows any New Zealand species out of the water. Mm-hmm. Why why is that? Oh, they're just such vocal little cunning buggers and can be so aggressive in the bush and yeah, they make so many different little noises and you just get in close and personal with them in the bush. It's just something about seeker deer that I love and, and you know, this year I, I took a couple of seeker deer with the bow. Um one a little bit of a four pointer and a hind, but 
it was you know just in the in the dense kind of animal forest up close and personal um yeah they're, de- they're definitely my favorite new zealand species but then the old the old wapiti come pretty close behind mm. that in regards to so you've been successful there before yeah yeah i, I guess i'm pretty lucky and and mm. you know, there was a, a large amount of luck and a large amount of skill involved in that hunt in particular mm-hmm. um where i was able to take a a, a really good wapiti uh, a modern day wapiti i must say Mm-hmm. Um, which is you know the process being mounted to be put on my wall now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been pretty lucky in that sense. But yeah, like I, I keep saying, we're we're so lucky in New Zealand to be able to have the species that we have to hunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, like I, just going with the wapiti in Fjordland for me, based on what I've done and understand internationally, and it's not everything. I'm, I'm not standing up for that conversation. I myself put. A genuine current day wapiti out of Fjordland is almost the hardest trophy in the world, mm. you know. And based on a lot of things, and I, I pretty much renowned for overthinking stuff. But like the the amount of thought that has to go into the hunt, the amount of physicality that has to go into the hunt, the amount of preparation, the way Mother Nature treats you in there, um, you know, the, the the sheer intimidation of the environment. Mm. Like I, they, they're all at limits the whole time. And it, that's not to say you can't just walk in there and get an easy one because that does happen. But for me, it's the fact that a majority of that stuff already had to go through that person's mindset. Yeah. You know, that, that's what makes it a real challenge. And yeah. I, I, I've i yet to get my trophy yeah. out of Wapiti, out of Fjordland. And there, there's, a, there's a lot of people that are yet to and some may never get their trophy yep. out of Fjordland. And that's, I think that's what makes, makes us want to keep going back mm-hmm. is that the, the modern day Wapiti, you know, you need to set, set yourself a benchmark and, and with Wapiti, you should be setting your benchmark high mm-hmm. and you should be looking over those animals and passing up a lot of animals. Like I've done three trips since um, I got my big guy and um, you know, looked at a lot of animals, passed a lot of animals, and I won't ever pull the trigger again unless he betters mm-hmm. what I've already shot and phew, I don't think I'll ever see that again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, it's one of the, I guess, well, it is a unique management Animal management structure within New Zealand. Totally. Like Fjordland. And, yeah. and full credit to the guys, you know, Fjordland Wapiti Foundation. Um, I remember, we won't go down this path because I'll talk to those guys about that, but yeah. I remember um, when I started Ultimate OE, I had a booth at what was then the Tar Show in Christchurch. Yeah. Cam, I can know you're listening. This is well before you. You were probably about 13 at the time. <laughs> um, and beside me was the Fjordland uh, Wobbly Foundation. Roy Sloan was there. It was the first time I met Roy. And there was literally a line of people and they either wanted to argue or hit him. Like it was one or the other. Like that was <laughs> it was all about why are you shooting this? Why are you shooting that? Why aren't we allowed in there? Like it was just one or the other. Yeah. And then skip forward four or five years or whatever at the Seeker show up north, there was a bigger line all trying to shake their hand and thank them and, and you know, recognise the work they're doing. And mm. it's... I get I've gone over again and it's partly what I hope to achieve with the educated hunter but us as Kiwis we just don't like change and we don't like what we believe is ours to be threatened but then when we see a model work you know like you look at the the Fjordland model the the Wapiti model the the improvements the the herd is is going through um that's all positive stuff for hunting and positive for New Zealand on the map and it's I don't know. Like it's a it's a great result, and and full credit to those guys that went through that because 
it would have been some very uneasy times. Yeah, I think that's massive for New Zealand. And like you know, we you and I were discussing earlier today, we'd but I'd love to see that um, that same model replicated on some of our other species in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. You know, some of those ones that you know, you know, the whitetail, for example, or the rooster in, New Z- in the north in the North Island. Um, yeah, the the species that are really struggling at the moment. It would be great to see some sort of management around them. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, that 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 model that the uh, Field and Wapiti Foundation are doing is is great, and it, mm-hmm. it's obviously starting to show yep. some results now. You know, yep. some great heads being seen and, and, or, or brought out, and it's. It's not that it's flawed or arguably flawed. Like, I don't think that's, and that's ever been an argument from them. Mm. But you've got to put a peg in the sand, eh, and start working from that. Mm. You know, you know, if we keep doing what we're doing, then we'll always get what we've got type yeah. scenario, you know. And yeah. I, th- I think that's really important. Um, but shit, I mean, I'll, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add to your recreational hunting? No, I guess a lot of people see my sort of recreational hunting on, you know, YouTube videos and, and that sort of thing, and they sort of see how I hunt and why I hunt, and and my style of hunting. And yeah, you know, I'm going to continue making videos whether people are interested in them or not. And and mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that's going to go down the the path of bow hunting now. You know, I've got a a red stag video I'm about to put together from our raw this year, where we had a lot of success over in a Wanaka block where we took out um, a, a a monster 17 point Otago head from one of the uh, the heavily hunted. Wanaka blocks, you know, I'm just about to put that video together, and and I'm sure a lot of people will, re- will really appreciate that because it's real mm-hmm. Kiwi hunting, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does matter, and mm-hmm. you should be proud of it. Yeah, like that's, you know, like uh, I think when there's time and effort and reward put in, we should be proud of it, mm. um, and we and we shouldn't be afraid to to be proud of mm. it. Uh, you know, it's as simple as that. I know, I know, I sort of juggled my words there, but it is really as simple as that. Like you should be proud of it. We should yeah. be proud of the way we hunt, as long as we hunt with ethic. Yeah, that's it. You know, I'm, I just don't anyway. But I've I've really enjoyed the chat, Khan. Um, I hope we shared with the listeners. You're no different to any other hunters listening. Yeah, because you know, you're not. Then that that's what I, I wanted to achieve with this podcast. I want, you know, like you're a very skillful hunter. Um, that spends more time on the hill, be it professional or recreationally, than than most. And you've got a lot that people can learn from. And then you've also got what well, as much, if not more, that you're willing to share to either other hunters and family. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And I, 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 I guess I just hope I shared it because I felt it was very unfair the way you were treated. I'm going to continue hunting the way I've always hunted. And I'm going to continue conservation the the way I've always done it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know. I'll just continue being me, and and that's it, really. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, that's good. Oh well, I think we've gone and earned ourselves another mile beer. Yeah, no, appreciate the time for that, um, Kieran, and the fire needs a bit of a stoke up, and we'll crack another beer and talk about hunting tomorrow. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll have a bit of luck tomorrow. See what the day brings, mate. <laughs> Find something to climb a hill for. Yeah, good one, mate. Cheers, eh? Thank you for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. If you would like to receive a short email from us once a fortnight that contains everything that we've found interesting, educational, entertaining or inspiring within the hunting world, as well as updates on relevant hunting issues, our on-the-ground initiatives and any upcoming events, please visit theeducatedhunter.com forward slash join. You can also check us out on Instagram at theeducatedhunter. Or finally, join the conversation in the Educated Hunter Facebook group. The links for all this can be found below in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening and catch you on the clearing.